is the West Side King's Church podcast, where we aim to encounter and embody the surprising grace of Jesus. We're kicking off a new summer reading that's going in line with uh, our teaching from a Sunday mm-hmm. uh, standpoint. Uh, with a book from Tom Wright called Broken Signposts, our teaching series is called Distorted Echoes. Same, same sort of idea. Oh, look at that. There you go. There you go. A little promo for Tom there. Um, and uh, this is a really interesting series. I'm excited to really start to get into this conversation and start to wrestle it out. Uh, I mean, anyone that's listened to anything that you and I have said uh, over the last 12 months, there's been a lot of Tom in our conversations. And so we, yes. we, we appreciate his thinking. We, I mean, we did a series earlier too on resurrection and a lot of that was his hmm. um, kind of thinking that shaped it. And, and so I love the, the premise of the book that um, he's really pushing towards mm-hmm. to say, you know, there's these glimpses of God's kingdom and how it's working within the world around us. But at the end of the day, it's not the fullness. It's not the yeah. full picture. And that's where, really where the language of broken signpost comes in for him to say yeah. they're pointing in the right direction they're pointing towards something but it's not the full thing yet um and so how can we how can we learn about and see how god's working in the world in a in a various you know uh range of topics that he kind of begins to unpack um yes in in this book so i i'm excited for this one um i i think it'll be great conversation you kicked it off in our sunday series just a couple of days ago now not even a couple one day ago um (laughs) My my scheduling is all over the map still, um, even though restrictions have been lifted and life is supposedly somewhat normal. I don't, I haven't quite figured out my schedule. Well, I, yet I recorded days that of the week, sermon. But- I recorded that sermon for our online service on Wednesday of last week. So we're, you know, it's like for us as church leaders, the whole pandemic has been constantly adjusting to new rhythms and you figure just as you figured you out, something else changes. And so now that we're recording a live online service and doing an actual in-person service. So I'm recording my sermon on Wednesday and then begin studying for the following week and then preach this week's sermon. And I have to admit, I really have to, I've had to have very good note-taking process Tyson so that I don't accidentally drop into the wrong sermon on Sunday morning well, and it's and it's easy enough to do because you start to get excited about an idea and then when you're talking you know when you're preaching on a Sunday you're like that would also fit here and then next thing you know you've give you've given away all your content for the next week you gotta go back to the drawing board so I love the the in the in the opening chapter of of Tom's book I love the metaphor that he uses about um about going to IKEA and uh, and and getting well, he he doesn't say IKEA. He probably wants to avoid uh, you know being sued or something like that. But he talks <laughs> yeah, about exactly. He, he talks about um, well, he says this. I love this. He says hell is the incomprehensible instructions that come with flat pack furniture, right? And, <laughs> which, which, which I love. I mean, I, I um, having been in pastoral life a long time, and one of the things that happens, I don't know if everybody would know this, but sometimes what happens when you're in pastoral life is, you know, people are getting married and they come to you and go, hey, could we have some sort of pre-marriage counseling with you before we get married? Just, you know, couples want to go into marriage with just a little bit of help and guidance. And I have at several points in my life, Tyson, thought, I think you should just take, you should just give the couple a wardrobe from Ikea, say, go to Ikea and buy it, right? Buy it, get it in your car, 
bring yes. it home, build it. And if you still want to get married after doing that together, then your marriage will be strong. <laughs> I think there's some, I think there's some good wisdom in there for sure. Like I've been married a lot of years now. And, um, I say a lot because my wife and I constantly forget. I think it's 17 now that we've been married. And and we, honestly, Ikea pushes us to the edge. <laughs> it's like, if it wasn't for the meatball stop in the middle, there would just be no hope. <laughs> yeah, Rebe Rebecca knows with certain pro like house projects and things that she's like, she'll be like, uh, we'll just stay away I'll from that for, yeah, for, for a couple <laughs> minutes there. He's just got to get some frustration out before this goes together, so and so and so what tom does with this which i think is a brilliant metaphor uh, actually is he says that so you've got all the pieces on the floor and you know you've got all the right pieces and you have instructions and you know that the instructions are supposed to make sense of doing something with all these pieces but <laughs> we've all been there where there's just a, mo a moment where you either go whoever wrote these instructions was insane or some sort of sadist that just wanted to watch us all suffer as we, as we attempted to build this, or or you decide something's wrong with the pieces. Right? There's right. like there's always a moment where it comes in. And so Tom uses this sort of metaphor as as a sort of description of where we find ourselves in the world. That we have, um, you know, we, we have these these ideas. And so he talks to them about them. And I mentioned them on the Sunday teaching as well, ideas of justice and love, spirituality, beauty, freedom, truth, power, right? And, and, I, and I love that Tom says, like, these are, like, everybody wants to talk about these issues. They're all issues yeah. that we're concerned about. And actually, they're godly issues as well. But if we don't position ourselves properly within this, they become like a set of useless instructions or broken signposts, right? That you you have all the pieces, but you're not able to put it together. And I, I just found that that metaphor really helpful for me, just to even think about how to talk about these things. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And he, I mean, he takes a deep dive in through the book of John, right? Yes. To say this is how this is the you know he uses one gospel. Sometimes in books you find you know they jump all over the place, and there's a mm. bit of. Um, cherry picking is not always the right word, but you understand a bit of what I'm saying in that yeah. um, as they, as they build some ideas, but he's actually just taking a walk through of John to mm. say, let's look at the gospel itself. Let's slowly work through it and let's unpack these topics and, and really what God's wanting to do in a, in, you know, like I said, a wide range of them mm -hmm. all through John's lens and how he mm -hmm. tells the story of Jesus and what's happening and yes. what it means for, you know, the word to become flesh and to yeah. move, move into the, the neighborhood as, you know, to borrow Eugene Peterson language. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I, and I think that, so there's a sense in which if you're tracking this series with us, reading Tom's book would be, would be helpful, but hopefully not essential. So part of the logic is yeah. we, we want to learn from him and use his notions to sort of shape the Sunday services. Sunday services are not book studies in that sense, but we want to pick up on these things. So the idea being that I think, does this make sense the way to say it? That, you know, the, the sermon series will work on its own. <laughs> if you buy the book, then that's maybe going to give you some further depth of study to sort of reach into. And if you join in for the Short Circle podcast, then you're going to get a chance to sort of think a little bit more about the content of the book and how that relates. While at the same time, 
And this is sound, this is sounding a lot like you know that thing your teacher does, where it's like it's summer, but here's some work to do over the summer. <laughs> uh, at the same time, reading John's Gospel is going to be helpful as well, because that's the sort of biblical text that we're going to anchor all of this sort of stuff in. Um, yeah. Um, which is, it's a great biblical text. I love John's gospel. <laughs> yeah, well, it is interesting when you start to look at it, the different gospels and the different kind of focus points that they have, mm. um, right? And and I think, you know, lots of people have their quote-unquote kind of favorite gospel or whatever, right? Like I know yeah. you've got to, at least... I'm going to guess because, and I don't know for sure, but you've got a friend that, you know, we've done some book studies of his. He loves Luke, at least yes. from what I could tell, um, yes. right? He's always wanted to talk about Dr. Luke. And, yeah. and I think it's awesome because there's, there's lots you can learn from there, but John's take on the story of Jesus and the, the ushering in of the, you know, the kingdom mm. of God and what that means for the world and the word becoming flesh which obviously is a big theme because we see it right in john one yes creation yes. narrative that starts to come in and really starts to shape um mm. well his entire gospel and really what he's trying to kind of you know set as the framework for the whole thing yeah, is, yeah. A, is a big piece for john yes yeah no absolutely and i think it's always worth actually saying that that you have these four gospels and there's a lot of work out there that you can read as to why do we have four gospels what's the way to read the four gospels and i often want to remind people that it's actually quite important to take the gospels and look at them as standalone works yeah. quite regularly there's a tendency within church history to sort of mush them all into one and get one big story. Uh, and what's really interesting is that for the early Christians who were fascinated with the life of Jesus, for the first three or 400 years, none of the early Christians do this. There's no attempt to sort of make one big story of Jesus, but they insist on keeping these four, they gotta stay separate, because they seem to recognize that each of the Gospels brought a different perspective and that each of the Gospels were doing something different. They, they were they were trying to get, <laughs> they were all trying to get the message of Jesus across, but in very particular ways. Yes. Uh, and so like classic readings of that, Tyson, you know, Matthew's trying to think about explaining Jesus to Jewish readers. Uh, you know, Mark seem, seems to be explaining Jesus to people from a Greco-Roman background. Yeah. Luke Luke wants to chart the work of the Holy Spirit from Jesus through to the church. Yeah. Um, and then you get John. And, um, I, you know, John just decided he was going to do something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> he goes rogue. He yeah, goes, yeah, John goes true. rogue. Uh, and John, I mean, John seems absolutely convinced on, on impressing upon you that Jesus is God's Messiah. But he, he wants to take, I mean, this is, what I think is going on. He wants to take the notion of Messiah and blow it up much bigger than, than you'd had. So like we see this, how does Mark start? Mark starts with Jesus appearing to be baptized by, by, by John the Baptist, right? Mark, a lot of people think that's the early gospel, right? How do Luke and Matthew start? They tell us the nativity story. And for many years, churches have been super happy about Matthew and Luke because we get to do nativity stories at Christmas time, right? And then John comes down and goes, well, so where should I start? You've got Mark wants to start at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Matthew and Luke want to start when Jesus was born. John's like, how about I start at the beginning of creation? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those where you're like, I mean, there's a purpose behind it, but at a first glance, yeah. you're like, this is a weird place to start. Like, 
Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I, I always think of that Simpsons episode. You and I, we've talked about it before, where they basically start their Sunday at Janet. They're reading in Revelation. You have to know if you're, you have to be a church person to know it. And then someone coughs and interrupts and they're like, all right, from the beginning. And they go all the way back to Genesis as the big joke. And everyone's stuck in church for so <laughs> forever. Yeah, forever. It's one of those, you know, kind of joke. And that, but that's kind of what I think about when I see the beginning of John 1. <laughs> So, so I talked about this in my sermon on, on Sunday, um, and so that's out there in terms of some of the things that I think about, you know, John 1. Uh, I'm going to read the text just real quick, Tyson, and I'd love to hear your sort of thoughts on what's going on in, in this text in light of where we started this series on Sunday and, and how, that, how that goes. So, but just to refresh everyone's memory, the first five verses, I think, are really interesting. So, in the beginning was the Word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. So what I sort of said, brief summary, just in case people are either, well, I always feel like I don't want to assume anyone can remember anything I said in a sermon. So, <laughs> so but the, the, the brief summary that I suggested there, which I think is going to help us with this series, is that John takes a very familiar story, the creation story, a story that his Jewish readers would have grown up listening to, like the it's it's the story at some level like i don't th i find it hard to believe that a first century jewish reader could forget that story ever yeah but john and in that story that's where light is created but john comes along and he takes that story and he says actually jesus was there the whole time which obviously isn't present in the genesis version so i talked about how john sort of restorifies this he takes the story and retells it again to make an even bigger point with the story that not only was g i mean it's huge isn't it all things came into being through him. That's a huge statement. Jewish people at the time of you know Jesus are to this day, to be honest with you, are absolutely convinced that there is only one God. So for John to say, "Oh, and this Jesus, he was there at the beginning. He was the one that made these things." Nobody hears that and goes, "Oh, so there's two gods." What they hear is, "So you're saying Jesus is the creator, right? That's yeah. That's how yeah. big this is, uh, yeah. and this then becomes." the lenses through which you're going to have to make sense of John's gospel. But I think what John's doing is saying the reason I'm not starting with Jesus being baptized with, by John the Baptist, the reason that I'm not starting with, you know, a nativity story is because I want to tell you that all of creation only makes sense if you put Jesus at the center of it. So that was kind of what yes. I was trying to get across uh, in my teaching on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, Maybe it's super obvious, right? So you're like, go, yep, we all saw that, David. Like, that's what we all knew for a long time. Or like, what was your thoughts on my take on that, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I mean, as as, as, as someone who's in the, a similar line of work as you, um, there, there's sometimes moments where I'm like, it's kind of common because we live in it, but it's not mm -hmm. always... Um, that that way for you know for everyone but i think the i think the retelling of the story piece like mm -hmm. is an important piece to understand as you start to read the well all of the gospels john does it mm -hmm. a lot but when you look at even just the life of jesus as it's going to continue to unfold and john's going to continue mm -hmm. to tell and highlight pieces of you know yeah. of jesus's life 
a lot of what happens and you look at again interactions jesus has with pharisees and sadducees and all like and basically anyone around him he's Mm -hmm. always retelling a story they're pushing him on old practices and on and on laws and and these types of things and he's retelling a new story um parables that jesus is going to go on to share um are going to push the boundaries for a lot of people and it, mm-hmm. it, it it's him retelling another story right to say this is how you assume it is but let me tell you a different way yes. let me frame that story on a much larger scale of what god wants to do within the world um yes. and so i i think that's a really important point um to actually have as a foundational thing i think it's one that we can say yeah that's great and then brush over it really quickly and yes. say yeah kind of an interesting learning but actually i think it becomes foundational in how you're going to actually look at the life of jesus because you can look at the life of jesus and just say yeah some good teaching and isn't that interesting but when you start to understand it with the lens of actually what jesus does is retell Mm -hmm. a lot of things in a new way and in a broader scale well now that radically shifts what jesus was doing within the world well yeah and and that actually, even as a reader of John's gospel, you, you know me, Tyson, like my one thing I always want is for people to go and read the text as, as yeah. a result of this, you know, and I'm just, you know, you look at that window and, and what I what I hope people can engage with when it comes to this idea of, of this retelling of the story is one of the thoughts you almost want to have in your mind then is, so what other stories are being retold in this gospel? If, yes. if John's John's giving us for a, a model for how to see, a model for how to make sense of things. And even that comment, like it's just, a, I mean, goodness, it's one of the stunning verses of the Bible. You know, uh, John 1 verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, you know, and, and the darkness. So we often translate it, um, the darkness uh, could not overcome it. Right, uh, which I like. I mean, I like that. It, it's got great rhetoric to it in that sense. The light shines yeah. in the darkness. The darkness. The, the Greek uh, is is literally uh, katalabon is the Greek word. It, it means to take hold of. Uh, like um, it, the Greek is is unable to. <laughs> like if I was translating this, I might even go. Uh, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't get a grip of it. Right. Right. <laughs> the, the, uh, so I love this notion of this kind of slippery nature to the light that the darkness is unable to, you know, to hold on to it to to do its thing. I, I just think it's it's a beautiful, um, it's a, it's a beautiful kind of image in that sense that light cannot be grasped by darkness. It cannot be held by darkness. So so you've got John setting this up. This is this is how this is going to work and this is how this is going to happen so you've now now think about that i'm getting just excited about john's gospel here tyson but <laughs> think good. about that in terms of um the light shines in the darkness the darkness will not take hold of it right now think about the narrative of john's gospel then there's all these fights and arguments between jesus and the people that, that don't like what jesus has to say ultimately then jesus is killed and then he's raised again and you kind of hear this resonance of yeah the darkness cannot take hold of the light right so so there's that moment that if you uh, i used to say to my seminary students read john chapter one and it's almost a key like it's the cole's notes to how to understand the rest of this gospel right it's actually all in there if you does that make sense yeah yeah no it absolutely makes sense and i always find the interesting part too and you know, maybe just to, to build on some of that, obviously, you know, John's 
giving this creation narrative and retelling that story of in the beginning was the word. And then when you jump down, you know, a few verses there, you get um, in verse 14, the, that the word becomes flesh mm-hmm. and it makes his dwelling among us. Or again, Eugene Peterson would say, and moves into the neighborhood, which I actually yes. think is really profound language when you stop and think about the significance yeah. of that. But I think about that again in John's way of retelling and refocusing what he's doing here to mm-hmm. to an audience that would have been, uh, you know, a lot of oral tradition, right? Like as far mm-hmm. as t- telling of stories and listening to words um, and prophets that had words from God and right, like an, an, an understanding mm. it in that way. And then John is actually saying, yeah, actually, and the, the word of God has now become human yeah, and, yeah. Has, and has moved into the neighborhood and the shift yeah. that that then does to people and what they're understanding and the significance of that, I think is, um, it's really significant. Uh, can we push that a little more? Yes. Yes, <laughs> so, please. So again, I didn't come in prepped for a Greek study tonight, but this so, is going to yeah. be a second Greek study moment. So, yeah, there uh, you, go. you know, everybody that uh, just, you know, wants to fall asleep at this point, they're more than welcome to. But um, the, the Greek word is skinoto, um, which is just, a, a you know, again, a fun sounding word. Um, it, quite literally, so, so, so the word became flesh and and lived amongst us or dwelt amongst us or in Eugene Peterson's translation moved into the neighborhood skinato literally means to pitch a tent right so so like think about this this is really fun right so so the word became flesh and tented amongst us right i mean i feel like i feel like you know we're in alberta it's a lot of campers in alberta i feel like the the idea that you know that jesus came came with his camping gear is going it's going to appeal to people but Push it a little further than that. Um, you know, where else in Scripture have we seen a tent? All right. Um, well, where we've seen a tent, of course, is when the people of Israel are leaving Egypt. Prior to them building a temple for God, where yeah. does God, quote unquote, dwell? God dwells in a tent, right? Yeah. And so when you jump back into the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this idea of tabernacle gets explained in the same tenting language. So some translations, some of the older translations say the word became flesh and he tabernacled amongst us. Yeah. They literally use the word of the Old Testament. So, so think about what John's done. We're only at verse 14. In verse, in verse 1 to 5, he's yes. gone, you know that creation story? Going to rewrite that with Jesus in it. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, what, what did Jesus do? Well, he came and tabernacled amongst us. And just in case you're missing that that's what it might be about, the very next sentence, and we have seen his glory. Well, if you read the Old Testament story, the tabernacle was the place of the glory of God. Right. So, so, so John is literally churning his way through all of this kind of core, um, I don't want to say ideology, but theological pieces about the presence of God, about the creative work of God. And John's going, Jesus Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, so he really is like not wanting us to miss. If you're going to make sense of the world, you're going to have to make sense of Jesus, or, or rather you're going to have to look through Jesus to see the world. I just think it's, it's stunning language. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's, it's, and it's an interesting one because I think, and this is maybe where we start to, you know, tiptoe a bit with the, book at least from kind of an introductory Mm -hmm. we've got a lot of um you know different chapters and stuff that we'll slowly kind of work through yeah i I think this is where it starts to get you know kind of interesting for us as we think about how we view the world around us yeah 
I'm, I would, I would think that there would be a lot of people who have maybe even, you know, growing up in the church in a lot of ways that would say, yeah, I look, I look through that lens. Mm-hmm. I, I, I understand the lens of, you know, Jesus. And, but then, you know what, we, you and I come back and we go, we're going to do a series on resurrection. Cause actually <laughs> we don't think there's always been the, you know, a certain mm-hmm. lens of what people are actually looking like. And, 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 yeah. and so I, I think this is interesting, you know, to say we do have to grasp Jesus as the lens that we're going to look through in the world. Mm-hmm. But I think we've got to be, um, a little bit open-handed in some senses to say yeah. there, there may be stuff along the way. And I would be the first to admit um, that even in my own, even over the last couple of years, I would say um, there's been a lot of tradition mm-hmm. that I would say has shaped the, the lens of Jesus, if you will, if that's kind of nuanced, but um, that, that I've yeah. kind of looked through that I would say, actually, I, my view has changed on that as I read more, mm-hmm. as I study more, as I look at this more, as I try to come back to some of these things, I would say, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm not actually sure I was using the right lens um, to view certain topics and different yeah. types of things and what, you know, things like how salvation works or whatever, right? Like a lot of these kind of large... Yes um pieces that i think are that are significant and and maybe that's just you know what i'm trying to say is mm. as we move through this to to be a bit open handed in that to say mm-hmm. we are going to we do need to look at the story of jesus we need to look at it openly and with you know not clenched fists to this is how <laughs> this is how jesus works and i have the perfect grasp on it um yes which is, you know, shout out to all the denominations out there. Um, but, the, <laughs> but, 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 right. But that's, but for us yeah. to say, actually, let's, let's take our time. Let's wrestle through these topics and, and let go of the tradition. And we, we may pick it back up. We may say, mm. you know what, we actually think that's still accurate, but to say, we want the, this idea of the word becoming flesh of moving into the neighborhood and interacting with yes. the world to really be what shapes, um, yeah. what it means for us. If that, if, if I'm making sense. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, for, for me, the question often is, uh, you know, trying to, you know, think about that verse 14, you know, what does it mean for God to be with us? <laughs> yeah, uh, which at some level is the, is is the big question. What does it mean for God to be with us? And and, and so often, we, we we do a variety of things. We say, well, for God to be with us means we need to go to these particular services, or we need to practice these particular things, or we need to perform these particular rites, or you know, every every religion in the world has an answer to that question. What does it mean for God to be with us? And right. and really. John is now going to set out and say, and this is my answer to this question. Right. right? Um, that, that he, and, and he starts to build this very quickly in John that, you know, grace is coming and, and like, it's something quite profound that he's going to sort of set up, but he's inviting you to redefine things. Right. So I've redefined the creation story. I've redefined the presence of God in the tabernacle and, you know, it's now in Jesus. Uh, but there's like, I was thinking even as you were talking there about the, I am sayings in John. So there's this, right. you know, a, a, there's a series of sayings in John's gospel where Jesus comes along and he says, I am this. So yeah, you know, I am the bread of life in John chapter six. I am the light of the world in, in John chapter eight. Uh, you get the, I am the good shepherd, John chapter 10. There's, 
you know, you would recognize these sayings right, when you yeah. have you know, I'm the resurrection and the life, he says in John chapter 11. Now, what's interesting, of course, is these sayings also fit this pattern of rewriting because, because many of the things that, that we just hear them as beautiful sayings, you know, I'm the bread of life, right? Uh, but actually, there's a level to which Jesus is redefining. An, uh, well, let me, let me say it clear like this, Tyson. All the things that Jesus says, I am this, are things which in his culture, there was a different answer to that question. Right. Uh, Torah is your, your word, the, you know, the, 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 the written word of God is the bread of life. Jesus comes along and says, well, here I am as the word of God made flesh, and I am the bread of life. Yeah. So, so there's always a little bit of a I, in contrast to what you previously thought, am the resurrection and the life. Right. I am the good shepherd, not what you thought was the good shepherd. So there's a level of, of, of us as modern readers hear the I am statements and say, what are the things that we've put in those places? What are the, you know, our traditions, our cultures, our society, you know, what do you think the door is? What, you know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, that's a contested statement. All of us, no matter where we've come from, have an idea of the way. <laughs> yes. You know, this is how yes. you should live. Yeah. And Jesus comes along and says, no, no, this is how you should live. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what we then try and do is we go, well, how about I live the way I want to live? And, I'll just believe in you, Jesus. <laughs> and, and I think that's a huge challenge within particularly the kind of last 50 years of the evangelical church has been to almost accept that, which is to say, yeah, you live your way <laughs> and believe in Jesus. Whereas when you read John's gospel, John goes, no, no, I am the way. Well, Jesus goes, I am the way and believe in me by following me down the way. Right? So, so this for me is the thing that I think even you've mentioned already our series on resurrection. I think that series was hopefully asking the question that once you start realizing it's not just about believing in Jesus, but the resurrection tells us that God cares about the world. Yeah. Then the questions that we want to ask in this series become really important to us because, yes. well, if we are world focused now, if we're now pointing towards that, how is Jesus inviting all of us to rewrite the story of the world as we understand it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where I, you know, I love the, um, the chapters, the big themes or whatever you want to mm. call them that, you know, Tom lays out in here when you mm. think about justice, right? Well, justice is really, it has always been prevalent, um, mm. but is, um, there's new things that are surfacing as people are wrestling justice, right. Mm -hmm. And what that means in the world. And I think it's a, it's a timely conversation to say, how do we retell that right from mm -hmm. what Jesus was doing and wants to continue to do? Love has always been a big thing, right? What does that look yeah. like in the world? Spirituality. There's, you know, lots of people talking about whether people are, you know, not spiritual, the rise of the nuns or whatever, but there's, mm. there's a swing back, I would say in, in some, you know, stuff that I'm reading and looking at that's going, mm. actually, there's a lot of curiosity around this, this mm -hmm. piece of spirituality of people saying, how does this work? What does it look like? Beauty, mm -hmm. right? Freedom, truth, power. I mean, those are heavy, heavy weighted, yeah. very large topics. We're not, we're not talking, you know, about 
small little kind of niche corners of something. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, we're talking about big things that the entire world really wants to talk about. Um, yes. And that's what I appreciate about Tom is he's always been kind of bold in that to say, mm -hmm. actually, the kingdom of God coming into the world um, through the cross and the resurrection is changing everything. And we yeah, need yeah. to be able to yeah. tell the story on a grand scale, not just... Um, on a personal scale. And I think, you know, we've had some conversation about that before to say we've traditionally, you know, at least in the last little while, there's been a lot of me and my, you know, kind of cute, cuddly Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's just for me. Um, yeah. And the, and we kind of forget the kingdom of God and what he wants to do in the larger, yes. in these larger topics. And so yes. I think it's important for us to step back and say, yes, personal, absolutely. It's yeah. a part, it's a part of it, but it's not the whole picture. And so what does it look like to usher in some of these larger pieces in the world? Um, so I, and that's, I want to cover all the content tonight, but we can't. So. <laughs> that's what I like about um, this idea of, of how does Jesus make sense of the world? Um, I, I think that's a profoundly Christian confession. And, and I realize the exclusivism, even in us saying that, that, and at some point all followers of any religion will make exclusive claims sure. uh, but but that john it to me is very clear on that 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 claim i am the way the truth and the life so so he's not willing to entertain another solution which you know is tough like it doesn't feel like a a particularly open-minded thing to say but i think sometimes the problem is we've tried as jesus followers to make too much work to make sense of it and, and we we say well as long as you know you you talk about it sometimes i, I love the phrase you use we, we talk about believing in jesus as fire insurance yeah uh, you know it, it's just the sort of well that'll deal with me afterwards and i'm just going to now live my life now and glad that i'm going to be with jesus when i'm done and what i think you're seeing in the way that we're trying to shape and form this series is to talk about a God who is, and I think this is what you see happen in the resurrection, a God who is dragging the future into the presence. He's drawing the yes. future in, he's pulling it in, and he's inviting us to be part of that, that process. And it's, it's happening in the here and now. So, you know, questions of power, you know, I mean, power without truth is a terrifying, terrifying thing. And we see it so often in, in, yeah. in our context, you know, again, you know, justice, like justice is complex. I've been thinking about that a lot, even just in Canada's history over the last few weeks as yeah. things are being unveiled. And, you know, we've talked to people even, uh, you know, even on this, uh, you know, we talked with Holly a few, a few weeks ago. Yeah. You know, like, how do you, how do you do justice in this context? And one of the dangers is we could say, well, all we're going to be about is justice. We're just going to do justice and we're going to, we're going to fix everything that's wrong. But can you do justice without love? You know, can yeah. you do justice without truth? Can you do justice without beauty? Uh, you know, some justice on its own is a terrifying, terrifying proposition, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And like it, it, you know, because people will say, "Well, well, let's do what what sets things right," and it amazes me how often the, the quest to set things right becomes wrong uh, in, in that sense and, and that's the, that for me that's where jesus and i'm not now talking about 
the anything in particular, but I just yes. think you see this throughout history. You even see it theologically that certain theological trains have said God's primary characteristic is that he is just and that God must do what's right. And, you know, I know a few people that would stand by that position and and it becomes quite scary after a while. Well, we definitely... it, it shaped the fire and brimstone kind of movement, right? To say yeah. there is, there's justice, there's a price to be paid. There's a, yeah. right? And then of course, what happens is somebody else comes along and says, no, 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 now we're all about love. The God is just about love. And I remember reading Miroslav Volf's work. I don't know if anybody's read Miroslav Volf. His book, Exclusion and Embrace, is like, so So Volf comes from Eastern Europe, uh, lived through the ethnic cleansing uh, that, that was, you know, against his own people. He's now a, a brilliant scholar in uh, Yale. And, um, you know, Volf says one of the problems with a lot of the kind of contemporary Western, you know, liberal Jesus is, is that as in when he talks about the Jesus, he talks about the way that we talk about Jesus. He said, when you've actually, well, we'll put it this way. Let me try and reword what he's saying. If you've lived relatively comfortable your entire life, which you know a lot of us in the Western context have, if you've lived broadly comfortable where nothing overly terrible has happened to you, then you can actually come to this idea of a God who just loves and loves and loves and loves. And you go, oh, that's right. great. That's the God I want. But, but Volf says, but if you've lived through ethnic cleansing, you want a God of justice. <laughs> yeah, You want a God that's going to put some things right because, because you can't dream or imagine of turning up at God's table and him bringing the person who perpetrated the deaths of so many of your loved right. ones and saying, well, I'm just a God of love, so you come and sit at the table anyway. Evolve says that the complexity is what you want is a God of both, right? You know yeah. you need forgiveness, but there's got to be a God who somehow says, but in order to in order to make this work, things have to be corrected. Things right. have to be have to be put right. And at which point you realize, and we've only talked about two of the seven. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you realize this is where I think you know you need Jesus because it's so complex. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes yeah, and it, it's diff, but it's difficult, and our brains don't always, you know, have a hard time. We would we would love our brains to wrap around it and be able to understand yeah. it and fathom it, and and we can't in its entirety. And that's I think where <laughs> some some of the frustration starts to set in to go. Ah, and yeah. again, and it comes back to you know what what. Mm-hmm. Tom is going to, you know, suggest to go, there's glimpses, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's, we can see glimpses of this. It's yeah. not the full picture yet, but there's glimpses. Um, but you can only see it and you become more aware mm-hmm. of it when you start to understand the retelling of the story yeah. that's happening. He's got this quote that Tom says, if I can read it, um, he says, a genuinely human life, a genuinely wise human life is one that recog- that learns to recognize these signposts, the seven, the seven things. Puzzling though they often are, and to wrestle with their meaning intelligently and with sensitivity to the many other people who are trying, trying to do the same thing in their own way. Perhaps these seven function something like the security systems in which you only get into the innermost safe if all seven independent key holders show up and work together, you know, and, and I like that idea of, of being committed to 
I got to think about all all of these. I can't have power without truth. I mean, I can't have truth without beauty. You know, I, I think there's something quite. I, th- I really think there's some profound work to work through that John's gospel guides us in in all of this. Yeah, and I think that'll be a part, the unique part of um, the journey as we go over, you know, these over the next few weeks is that there's going to be some that probably land a little bit easier with us just because of some of maybe our own upbringing or thinking or um, even just areas of passion and excitement or whatever that may be. And then there's going to be some that are probably going to be a bit more of a grind because they're, yeah. they're going to push on things that make us feel uncomfortable um, or right. Or yeah. something we don't want to have questioned because we, we kind of like where we're at mm. with it, or it's just, we haven't really thought about it. And to be yeah. challenged in that can sometimes be a difficult thing, right. To, to start to think differently mm. um, or more broadly on certain things, I think will be um, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, no, me too. No, it's it's going to be I, like I I think there's almost a level of which we're we're asking questions about how we I suppose, sometimes how we believe in Jesus at some level because because we're we're saying actually believing in Jesus is more than just a mental assent to some things that we think about Jesus, but rather to use the worldview word. <laughs> In being open to the possibility that that Jesus will change the way that I see everything, um, and and I think that's quite that's quite an important place for us as Christians to be in. So I'm hoping that that for for a lot of people, this series could be quite foundational. One that actually, okay, this is going to help me make sense of of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Uh, and I, so I'm hoping, and I mean this humbly, Tyson, in, in that sense, but I'm hoping that that the series can be really, really helpful to people from that perspective. Yeah. And maybe just even to explore more of where God's at work Mm -hmm. in the world around us, because I think that there has been, and again, I can use my own personal example as the easiest. Um, There was moment like along my upbringing where it was pretty narrow and I'm, and I'm pretty confident I've, I've missed a lot of what God has done around me just by almost having blinders on as far as mm-hmm. how I think the world works and how I think that looks like. And just, you know, just focusing on knowledge and not being concerned about, you know, my actions within the world or things I should care about mm-hmm. that maybe aren't naturally in my own wiring. I, I hope that that yes. becomes an impactful piece of this as, as well. And in, in an encouraging way to say, man, Jesus is at work, you know, in a, in a, in a lot of areas that maybe I never even thought about before or acknowledged or saw and beginning and they're beginning to see and have that. I mean, I think that's always been encouraging for, you know, the people of Jesus is when they go, I saw God at work. That's it spurs on faith, right. And expecting more and wanting to participate more and share more. And, and, and so that would be my hope is that we would broaden be able to broaden and see God at work in new places and maybe places we've never seen him at work yeah. before. I, I love it when I've heard it said once that the great thing about Jesus is wherever you go, he beat you there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's good. Um, and so, you know, Jesus is always, uh, you know, early missionaries used to say, you know, we're going to take Jesus to this country. <laughs> and you always think, well, where do you think he was? Right? Uh, you know, it might be how we perceive him, how we see him, how we understand him might not be easy. Uh, and But 
but this idea that that and I love what you said just there that it's that I'm going to see Jesus in places that I haven't seen him before uh but he but he's always working there right he always yeah. he's always wanted us to be there he's always been interested in these things so i love that 